Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. The simplicity of it is this, that there's nothing in your life externally that will so influence you and control you to keep you away from making the right decisions that you need to make. So you can just kind of widen it beyond wine, although in this passage it would be wine, and it wouldn't surprise me too much because remember they're coming from the Isle of Crete, which they're coming out of a lifestyle of great debauchery in most cases. So it says here, not according to a lot of wine, don't drink, don't drink a lot of wine, don't be enslaved by it, it's actually saying. Then it says teaching what is good. So you have the idea of teaching what is good. So that's the modeling. So I'm to model by showing a reverent behavior, not malicious gossiper, not enslaved to enslaving habits, and I need to be a teacher. In other words, my purpose is to add value to others. So that's the modeling part. That's the good behavior part. That's what God wants me to do. Which now brings us to the last one, which is to communicate your message. That's found in end of verse 3, but mostly at verse 4. So that, in other words, in order... For you to have a a platform upon which to speak, you have to do verse 3. You have to be that kind of person so that you may, as an older woman, encourage the younger women to do the following. Now, that's what it says in the New American, but actually it's the word train. So, in other words, the best training I have is to show them how to do it first. In other words, I'm doing it. Then I'm going to teach what is good to them. And it's kind of a broader statement of teaching what is good. But part of that teaching what is good now is to train them, to get alongside them. So I'm giving it to them. I'm watching them through it. I'm letting them know where the boundaries are. I'm listening. I'm coaching them. I'm giving them what they need to become that godly woman that they should be. Now, in this context, what should they do? First of all, it says to love their husbands. Now, you see the word love their husbands? That's because there are a lot of other men out there, and it was easy perhaps for them not to love their husbands. In this particular culture, it was like this. You marry the person, and then you learn how to love them. In our culture is fall in love. Get involved with all of that romantic, that, uh, uh, all that's involved in a relationship that gives you those wonderful gooey feelings that you have. And then you get married, and you make the commitment work afterwards. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that that's how we work in this culture. But in that culture, whoever you married, you had to then work on loving the person. Here we love them first, then we get married. There they got married, and all of a sudden, what do we do now? And they didn't know how to love. What's biblical love? What's helping them go to their next level? What is accepting them? Where do you draw the line when you make an appeal when they're doing something wrong? How do we demonstrate Christ-like love to them? Love the unlovely when my husband isn't the way that he should be. So what the older women are saying is, I've been where you are. I married my guy, that old goat over there. I married him because my parents set this whole thing up. And now I'm into this relationship. But over the years, I've learned how, from Scripture, how to love them with God's love. Now, this is what I learned. This is what Scripture says. Let me show you. It worked for me. It'll work for you because it's godly. Now, let me help you in learning how to love your husband. Don't be looking for someone else's husband to love. Don't look for someone else who will be someone else's husband to love. You accept the one that you have and you work with him. All right, the second phrase, it says, to encourage them to love their children. And it's interesting because they would not only have their own children because there wasn't birth control in any real big way like we have here, but the idea was to love them. But many times there'd be a lot of other children that would be in the midst because they didn't have, while they didn't have much abortion back in those days, there was a lot of kids that were abandoned, a lot of problems that would come in, a lot of disease, and kids were left over. Let's take them all in. And so the, whatever children that you have, we're going to love those children. And oh, what a precious thing it is to love those children. 
And then this is to be sensible. We talked about that already. Be balanced-minded in our thinking and sensitivity. Be pure. That's also interesting because they grew up in a society that there was so much impurity, so now the older women are teaching the younger women, training them what purity is all about from the inside out. Then it says workers at home. Um, Some translation says keepers at home. That doesn't mean keep her at home. It just means workers at home. In fact, if you want to flip it around a little bit, it could be home workers. Now that fits too because Paul said this to to the ladies, and I'm going to answer this question, can a woman have an outside job? I'll get there, I promise. But here's what he said. He said that you that are the young widows, not the older widows, the young widows, probably in the context before 60, the young widows. He says, here's what I would have you do. And he gives the reasons in the context, 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says this. He says that you would marry, one. Number two, that you would bear children, two. A lot of reasons for that. And then number three, he said that you would manage or guide the house. Now that fits not only their society, but what God is setting up that the husband's main responsibility is to provide for the family, watch this, provide, P1, provide, but also protect the family from physical harm, thieves, robbers, violence, but also prepare, protect them away from the mental things that could draw them down, protect them away from satanic false teachings, etc., so that the family themselves could be strong. So he's providing for them. Now, the wife has the day-to-day operation because often the husband is out there working and doing other things. So he can't micromanage the home. This is where the woman needs to know how does she take the resources that's given to her, what she can do to help her children develop to be godly uh, children and adults, and how to fit into society in a way that would make a mark for God. So her job is to manage the home. And he says that that's what the younger women should do. Now, there's some, some reasons why he said that, and I don't have time to open that up, but go back to the passage and you will see that. Now, to manage the house. So the question is often asked to me, is it, is it acceptable for a woman to have, or a wife, I should say, to have an outside job, even perhaps a mother? My best answer that I could say is that First Peter, or excuse me, First Timothy says your main job is to bear children and manage the house. This passage says very well that you work at home, you be a home worker kind of thing. And then Proverbs 31 gives us our model of balance. If you look at the woman in Proverbs 31, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find she rose up early, she took care of her household, she took care of her family, but she also knew how to buy and sell property. She also knew how to do some things in the business world out there, but her priority to the family, her priority in the testimony, the priority wasn't because she was greedy or had to find herself, her priority was still the home. So it's not anti-biblical to have an outside job. What it is is if you're chasing the outside job because I don't like my kids, I don't like who I am, I don't like my husband, I don't like that lifestyle, I want something else that's out there. The emphasis here, you'll find your greatest fulfillment is going to be in the home. Now husbands, you make it a lot easier for them to be a homemaker if you are out there you know, doing what you can to provide what's necessary and giving her the um, affirmation and the decisions that she makes. So older ladies, we're teaching the younger ladies that they are to be um, good home managers, home uh, economists, we might say. Then it goes on to say a little bit further here, which is really interesting. It says, being subject to their own husbands seems like every time I find that phrase to a wife be subject or submissive, it always adds the word own husband. I, got, I was really with a dilemma. Why would it say own husband, your own husband? Then I started realizing that it's possible that women, particularly wives now, will be placed in a setting where that you will have another man over you as an authority figure. 
whether it's a boss or whether you serve in a committee at a church or whether you serve in a, in a community, that in some measure there could be a masculine figure over you. And so all of a sudden, you've got a dilemma. You've got a conflict. Here it says, you know, obey your husband. Here you've got another man. You've entered into two different uh, covenants here with your husband, of course, for the matrimonial thing over here because you want to be a part of a project or something that's going on at church in the community, whatever it might be, and now you have a man over you. So here it's saying that you're to be subject to your own husband. So that doesn't mean necessarily that you have to kind of, you know, disrespect your boss that you might have or the leader, that masculine leader in your life. What it does mean is that as you're making decisions to enter into a relationship, an agreement, a promise or a covenant on something that's outside the home, that it should be talked about with your husband and that there's a degree of understanding what it is, what's involved, how much is involved of this, and then he enters into this with you so that when you're out there that he could also support you while he's permitted you or even prescribed and encouraged you to do that out there. Now you have a dilemma. Let me give you one illustration. One illustration could be the husband gets all excited. Saturday we're going to have this huge beach party. But your, your boss or your committee member says, no, no, we need you over here. We're doing inventory. What do you do then in that situation? To make this passage work to your own husband, you now have a dilemma. Perhaps the first step would be to say, Lord, I got this issue right here. I got to have a priority. Priority is my husband. Help me navigate through this so that the word of God is not dishonored. Now, remember, that's a prayer that he loves to have you pray. And it's a prayer that he will certainly answer. So then because your first priority is to your husband, you go to your husband now and then you share with him. I have this dilemma. You would like me to do this. This is what you want us to do. But we have this over here. What should I do? Because ultimately he's going to be responsible for whatever he's doing to provide or protect for the family. And you men, this is where you need to step up and be understanding that this is a horrible thing inside of your wife because she is just torn and then knots because she wants to say yes to you, but she... She's embarrassed to change something over here, and she doesn't know what to do. She wants to do what's right, but there's this conflict. So maybe what you might do is to help her sort through this by navigating it for her. But let's say the bottom line, I'm going to go right to the worst scenario. If that time your husband says, you know what, I want you here, and you know that you might even lose your job, Instead of fighting your husband on the loss of the job, you come back to him and then with a wonderful appeal, with a lot of love in your eyes, you say, honey, I um, very much, uh, I signed up to work here. This is part of my job description. I need to be here on this particular day. But if you want me to, I will go to the boss and I will say, I can't do that. And if it means my job, I want you to know that I will do what you asked me to do. Now, let me tell you, that goes back to the song that you had sung to us this morning that came from the word of God. The Lord is now calling you in a position where you have to obey your own husband. And it is painful at times. And sometimes that old goat may not always have it right. But I will tell you that God is greater than that old goat you have. And you're going to step out on God. You're going to step out on his promises of his word. And at the very end of all of this, whatever the consequences or result would be, it's still on God and him because you ultimately did that which was right by submitting to your own husband. Go back to the passage here one last time here. It says, so that the word of the Lord be not dishonored. Well, I need to close this. We've had so much ahead of time and I have so much more I would like to share with you. But for some of you ladies that are out there and you're thinking, man, I I don't think, I've really failed. I've blown it as a wife. I've blown it as a mother. I've blown it as an older woman teaching younger women. I haven't been there for them when they needed me. 
And you younger ladies, you said, I've been trying to read every book that's out there and I've been trying to figure out what to do and basically all I've done is be the kind of woman and mother that my mother was. And maybe she didn't have it right. Maybe she did. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I don't know. And so you're struggling out there. I want you to know that God is bigger than all of our problems, all of our sins. I want you to know that you and I, even as men, that we've blown it at times. Maybe through ignorance. We didn't know that. We did the best we could with what we had and we blew it. God says, I know that. That's what grace is all about. Some of us, we kind of knew it, but we kind of said, ah, that's too hard. I don't really agree with that. And you try to poke holes in all the illustrations that you might hear. Might have tried to find loopholes in all of this, but in your heart of hearts, you know that, wait a second, I, I've, I've kind of drifted too far from this. I want you to know God loves you. I want you to know, first of all, if you're a, a person that's outside the faith and looking in, that God loves you so much, he says, I don't care what you've ever done wrong. He says, I'm willing to forgive you of all of that. I'm willing to take you into my forever family. I'm willing to give you eternal life in heaven. I'm willing to be your heavenly father. I will be even your master then. He says, I will do all that's necessary to help you to become the woman that I had you to become. I made you a woman. Now you're going to become a beautiful, godly woman and mother. So you might say, well, what do I need to do to get that forgiveness from the Lord? It's not huffing and puffing with more good deeds, religious or social. It's coming to him and saying, and you men listen to this too, because we are all in this boat. We can say, Lord, I fail. I said things I shouldn't have said. I did things I shouldn't have done. I thought things I shouldn't have thought. And I feel that weight, Lord. I can see that I'm not as perfect as you are. And I can see that I'll never be perfect by my good deeds. And Lord, I want to thank you that going to heaven and getting forgiveness is not based on anything that I would do or not do no matter how bad I was in the future. And Lord, I, I know I, I, I'm going to blow it in the future. I'm going to try to be better in the future, but I'm still going to blow it. And so I want to thank you for this wonderful, rich, wonderful, full forgiveness that I receive from you based on your mercy and your grace as it's found in the person of Christ on the cross who died and rose again. So once you realize that, then you need to realize that he only asks one thing in return for you to receive that forgiveness and to enjoy his grace and his mercy. Is when you come to him and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. But I believe that you are the Lord who died and you rose again. And Lord, I just want to thank you for doing that for me. And I'm counting on you to keep your word when you said you'd forgive me. And that I could have eternal life. And so right now I'm trusting in you. Jesus says this. He says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. So now you've got salvation. Now you've got better understanding to this book, the Bible. Now you have the Holy Spirit for the power and the uh, reminder. You then have access to all these women who will use God's word to help you to become that wonderful woman. And you also have the wonderful grace of the Lord when you kind of step out of bounds again and get another do-over from the Lord as you move forward. But you've got to trust Christ as your Savior. That's the foundational part of it all. I pray that you do, ladies. And men, I pray that if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you'll do the same. And you look at your young wife right now and you say all that you can to help her to become that woman of God you'd like her to be. Take away some of the things that you might have piled up on top of her so she has time to meet with a godly older woman. You take some of that away so that she could have that time. Maybe for you it would be spending a little bit more time with the kids so you can bond a little bit more with them while she's with them. Some of you older men, some of us guys, we get so used to our wife being around, maybe we need to give them up a little bit. And when we give them up, we're actually going to get a better wife back after she spent time with a younger woman because it fulfills her. And when she's fulfilled, she just glows.
And that will just strengthen your marriage. Some of you that are single girls that are out here, you might say, you know, before I even get married, I would like to put myself underneath an older woman. Someday I might have a husband. Someday I might have children. But I do and I will always be a woman. And as a woman, I want to be a godly woman. And I'm going to look for some of those women that are out there. Maybe there's some women out there that are older that have never had children. And that doesn't mean you don't have anything to share. You model these things. You've learned a great deal. You can certainly help them. Some of the greatest basketball teams in history have been coached by coaches that have never played in the NBA. But they discipline themselves to learn what was necessary to put together a winning team. And we've got a lot of godly older women who have never had children, but they have disciplined themselves according to God's word and want to come alongside you. This is a very healthy environment, and we're all learning how to make this work, and we have God to help us. Would you join us and be a part of that? I pray so. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to give you a moment of reflection. It's a wonderful time right now. The Lord spoke to all of us, and I wish I had the time to speak to the men, but men, the passages are long for you and me as well. But for right now, you ladies, there's, an, there's a mission that he's given to you. And it's a mission that's easily fulfilled when you do it according to his word and for his glory. So your mission is to come alongside younger women. And when you come alongside them, it's to add value to their life by teaching and training them. Now your motive is, of course, to do it so that the word of God is, is honored and not dishonored. So not doing it puts a lot of susceptibility to dishonor to the word. So let's step up and do that. And then what do you do? Uh, of course it's modeling that godly lifestyle. So work on some of the little pukas, the little holes in your life, the little sins that are there between you and the Lord. And then also, remember, it's mentoring the next generation, which is actually to train them in how to be a godly person, a godly partner, a godly parent, and maybe for some at times a godly provider. You can do it. You've been taught so much. So maybe look at your schedule right now and see what you can offload that's good so you can unload that which is great. Now for those of you that haven't yet had your encounter with Christ, maybe for you you're realizing, you know, I, I, I know there was something else and today I've learned what it is. I learned that Scripture gives me a purpose for living. And this purpose is to fulfill my role as a man, as an older man teaching younger men, as a younger man sitting down with an older man, as an older woman to sit down with a younger woman, and a younger woman to sit down with an older woman, and to work this all out for this generation and the next for the glory of God. But you look at your life and you see so many areas it's not right. Well, just go to the Lord right now and remember that He says that God so loved you that he gave his only son, that if you would believe in him, trust in him and him alone, not believe, but believe in him, not behave, but believe, not believe and behave, just believe in Christ. You won't perish, but have everlasting life. And it's more than just fire insurance. It's all that's necessary that pertains to life and godliness and eternal life too. Is there anyone in here today that's ready to accept the payment Christ made for them on the cross? by placing your faith in Christ? Is there anyone in here today that would say to the Lord, thank you for dying and rising again. I'm trusting in you, Lord, and I'm 
I just want to tell you, I'm celebrating that my sins are forgiven. I have a new life in you and a new purpose for living now. And I want to thank you for that. I've placed my faith in you alone. If you're doing that, I'd like to ask you to slip up your hand in a moment. When you do that, it's not uh, raising your hand that will get your sins forgiven. You've already done that. You already had that when you trusted Christ. It's not walking an aisle or filling out a card. It's not even me praying for you. But by raising your hand, I just want to know, is today the day that you've trusted Christ? And I'd like to celebrate it with you and have a kind of a public but yet non-embarrassing prayer for you. Because I know this is an exciting time. I remember the time that happened to me and I was so excited to kind of just invite someone else to pray for me when I had trusted Christ as my Savior. Well, this gives you an opportunity to do that. No one's looking around, so no one's going to bother you. No one's going to come up to you. It's a private thing. Salvation is an inside job first, and so it's all done inside. Inside your heart, inside your mind. So if you're trusting in Christ and Him alone for the full forgiveness of your sin and for a new life in Christ now, and you'd like for me to remember you in my closing prayer, would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all that's doing that today, never done it before? Put it up real high. Few ladies that are older, how many of you would like to have prayer because you kind of knew this, but now you're really beginning to own this to model and mentor the next generation of ladies? And you older women, you would like to perhaps um, step out in a little bit of faith. You're going to get out of your boat and step on the promise of the Lord that He will be with you as you do this because He's calling you. This is your mission with the next generation lady. And you'd like to have prayers. And so is there any of you older ladies, and I'm not going to define the age. You know who you might want to see yourself to be. And you'd like to have some prayer. Would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all? God bless you and you and you many ladies. You younger ladies that are in here, how many of you are sensing that you kind of, you know, there are books that are out there and occasionally when you've got a problem you might go to an older lady, but you need to sit under for accountability a particular person on a more regular basis with the word of God open and the heart of the other person open to your heart and sharing scripture in the context of your womanhood. And you'd like to have prayer because you want God to bring together that right woman into your life who's older, that the two of you have a degree of chemistry, a schedule that might even be more compatible. But you'd like to do this and you're asking me to pray for you as you pray for yourself to obey God in this. Would you slip up your hand? Is there any of our younger ladies here that want that? Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to do something, ladies, with heads bowed and eyes closed. You, you did this to me and you did it to God. He knows and he could work all this out. But maybe he would have us to facilitate it. That if you're an older woman that you would like to be mentored, or you, would, you would like to mentor, would you put your name, your contact information on that guest card that was in your worship folder. If you young ladies in here say, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to at least explore this possibility. Would you put your name and contact and say, I'd like to be mentored. And some of you that are in between, you're saying, I don't know, maybe I need to be mentored while I mentor. You put that on there as well. Now, we're not going to be the Holy Spirit in your life, but as your spiritual shepherd who watches out for your soul and loves you and wants to, uh, you to be all you can be and have to give an account for what we do, we'll kind of at least make some introductions and then let's see what God and you and that other person does. But if you'd like to put that on the card and you men, whether you're young or old men, how many of you guys that are in here would like to have prayer because you want to help out your wife, your daughter, 
you're a single guy and you'd like to have prayer because you would like to be the kind of man that would have a wife that has been mentored or will mentor others. And so that you men would like to be a part of the equation of helping our women to be godly people, partners, parents, and maybe at times providers. Would you slip up your hand, man? Is there anyone here? Any of you guys like that? My hand is up. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you how clear it is. I thank you how that the Spirit of God will bring it to our own heart, to where we are, where we need, what we need to be doing and being. I pray that you will guide our ladies to come together, older with younger, with the purpose of learning how to be godly women. I pray for our men in here that we would see that as well, that men would be with younger guys and younger guys would be with older guys for the purpose of dialoguing and learning and discipling. I pray that together we'll be a stronger church because we're going to do it God's way. I thank you, that Father, that our church is loaded with wonderful people that are teachable and also able to teach. And so help us to grow together for thy sake and thy glory. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.